You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalm 18, 28. Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope that you have been enjoying these episodes in celebration of my new songs, Come Magnify and Home. But of course, beyond the music, I pray that God has been using these episodes to stir your heart and encourage you in this season. Today's episode will conclude this little fall series. That's mainly because more new music is on the way. In fact, it's pretty much go time over here at the Knuckles house, at least in terms of me praying through these last bit of lyrics and singing vocals and getting these songs ready to be released into the world. I will say Nathan is carrying a lot of the weight right now, but the music is sounding so beautiful and I cannot wait to share it with you. We've got at least probably 10 songs coming to you after the first of the new year. And if it was up to me, I will say I would release this album in December and not worry one bit that the holidays would possibly get in the way a little bit. (laughs) But at the same time, we want to enjoy the holidays as a family, and I know you do too. And of course, this is the time of year where Christmas music fills our homes. And of course, I am a huge fan of that. In fact, if you are new to this podcast and my music, be sure to check out my Christmas album called The Thrill of Hope. It is a collection of songs that remains so very sacred to Nathan and I and our family. So I hope you'll check that out. This is definitely my favorite time of year, partly because my birthday is in November. So that always feels really special right before Thanksgiving. And I have to admit, I already have all of my Christmas decorations up. And that's been the habit in recent years, especially the years that we've done the Christmas tour as a family. We put it all up early so that in between times when we were home that we could enjoy it every chance that we could get. This year, we are not doing the Christmas tour, but we still just were in the habit of getting all of the decorations up, and I'm loving it. We are taking a break from the tour this year in hopes that maybe next year there might be new Christmas music. We'll see if the Lord moves in that way. We are certainly hoping so. But speaking of the Christmas tour, I have to share something so sweet. For those of you who maybe saw us in concert the years that we had Molly Moody as our special guest, you will love hearing this. I think I've told you before that while I might do these podcasts in real time, one thing I don't do very well, and sometimes on purpose, is that I don't usually post in real time in terms of on social media. And that means that there's a lot of sacred moments that happen, a lot of them in our very home that no one knows about, at least not immediately. And I'm sure you've experienced this as well, that sometimes it feels like the most sacred thing you can do in a moment is not share it publicly yet. Side note on this subject, this past summer, Nathan and I took our youngest daughter, Annie Rose, to see Coldplay in concert in Philadelphia. We went on Nathan's actual birthday, and we went to Philadelphia because the cities nearest us that they were having shows in, they all fell on nights that we had other commitments. So Philadelphia it was. But one of our favorite moments of the night was when Chris Martin stopped the song Sky Full of Stars, And he asked everyone in the stadium to put their phones away. And he waited and he waited until, as best he could tell, that all 65,000 of us 
had put our phones away so that we could just be there together and that we could practice having just about four minutes where all 65,000 of us were just there together. A moment that wasn't for anyone else, but just those of us that were there together. And you know what? It felt sacred and special and made that moment stay with us in a way that the others didn't somehow. It was just so precious and something really cool to be able to practice in that moment. But back to Sweet Molly, for those of you who have listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I've interviewed Molly a couple of times and that I've walked with her for many, many years since she was in college. And it's been one of my greatest joys in my life to get to be her friend, but also just to get to be a part of watching her surrender her life to Jesus over and over and watching the Lord do such a beautiful work in her heart because of that surrender. Well, one of the greatest desires of Molly's heart has always been to be married and to have a family. And as she got into her late 30s, she was, of course, having to trust God with that over and over, even out loud to me as her friend a lot of times. But what's so sweet is that she couldn't have known that one of those nights on our Christmas tour, a young man would walk through those doors of the Franklin Theater, and he would hear Miss Molly sing that night. And he was pretty taken aback by her. If I have the story right, he was a friend of a family member of Molly's, and they told him that Molly would be featured at our concert that night. Well, his name is Asa, and I will tell you that it took a lot for him to darken those doors of that theater that night because I now know that he's not a big fan of commercial Christmas stuff. And, you know, he kind of thought maybe that was what he was going to encounter that night. But, of course, those of you who know what our Christmas concert is like— He was, of course, so thankful to get to worship that night and just to get to be refreshed in God's presence, to get to look upon Jesus along with us and that crowd of people that night as we gathered together and we lifted our eyes together from the commercial Christmas craze all around us, of course. And we just got to remember together that night the true reason that we sing and celebrate this season. I remember that night in particular. It was just so special. And there was just such a worshipful spirit in the room. And he would get the courage after that to ask Molly out. And last year, this very week, in fact, we got to hold a right before the wedding shower (laughs) for Molly and Asa. And then I will say this, so incredible that one year later, which is this past week, we got to have a baby shower for Molly and Ace's baby girl. Don't worry, the math actually all adds up. (laughs) They just decided to start their family right away since Molly is 38, and we just could not be more excited about celebrating this sweet baby girl and all that God has done in Molly's life. I mean, my goodness, what a difference a year can make, right? Truly amazing. I was voice texting Molly just the other day, and well, pretty much every time I've voice texted her here lately, it feels like I'm just choked up because of just getting to reflect on God's faithfulness in her life, and that we're finally in the days of getting to see her longing and dream of being a wife and a mom 
come true. It's just truly so surreal and so very sacred to have gotten to celebrate both of those things, their wedding last year and their baby girl this year. So I had to share that with you. Well, today I wanted just to keep encouraging you around this truth of what it looks like to walk with God in consecration and confession right in the middle of the mundane learning what it looks like to even be processing hardship or things not going as planned, maybe being agitated in our spirit about something like I shared about the last episode and using those moments as sort of a diving board to go deeper with the Lord and trust and even deeper with Him in our affections and our wants and desires. I wonder if some of you had to kind of spend some time pondering that very poignant question that I told you about that I heard on that podcast back in August, that if God granted you everything you've ever wanted, if immediately every request was a yes, but the catch is that He will forever withhold Himself from you, would you take the deal? I think it's so important to come face-to-face with this question, isn't it, and to let God search our hearts over it. A question that I've asked myself today, one that kind of turns that question on its head a little bit, is what would I be willing to forfeit to have the kind of relationship with God that goes far beyond my circumstances, one where I'm experiencing complete union with God, like Jesus describes in John 14, 20, when He says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. What would I actually give up in this life to have that kind of relationship with the Lord? These questions have made me ponder my relationship with the Lord, staying firm and true, come what may, meaning that I want to be able to separate my relationship with God and even my view of God from my circumstances and my outcomes from the ups and downs of life where I learn to establish Him always as the outcome and the answer. He is my safe place, my relief. It's not whether or not He can help me with my circumstance, but He is my help. That's Psalm 54.4. When things are going well, when I'm in a season of consolation, which has kind of been the last five weeks or so for me. I've been pain-free and weird ailment-free. Praise God. I'm just like, thank you, Lord. I might not be experiencing a mountaintop season per se, but I want to take notice, sort of take stock on days that I that things seem to be going as planned, weeks that feel like there's forward momentum. There's definitely a temptation to kind of just coast for a few days without being in God's Word and spending time praying and cultivating His presence in my life. You might be the opposite when there's smooth sailing. This might be the time that you do sense the physical and spiritual energy to just dig in deep, and that's wonderful. Take notice of it. Be aware of it. As I've shared before, I've found that when things are the lowest, when there's pain and hardship, When I don't understand what God is doing, it does afford me a dependency upon Him that I pray that I always take full advantage of, meaning that I'm desperate for Him in a way that draws me closer into His presence in my morning mundane even. Yet I've also shared with you that I've experienced a drastic drifting in the midst of pain and hardship, where I find myself intentionally not going deep with the Lord, almost out of self-protection, as I've told you before, as and I choose to be 
offended by some of the really hard circumstances that he seems to be allowing in my life. I say all this to say, it's just important to know where we are in terms of our heart and what God is stirring in us and longing to do in us. Meaning I'm learning that it's healthy and important to know our tendencies and even our blind spots when it comes to daily walking with the Lord and engaging in His making us more like Jesus, especially in suffering and hardship. If you've read my book, you might remember a sweet little story about our Annie Rose when she was probably two and a half years old or so. This was right around that time that she was sucking those two fingers of hers like it was going out of style. (laughs) We don't have many pictures of Annie Rose between the ages of one and three or so that she does not have her index finger and her middle finger together side by side in her mouth. But the funny part was that when she wanted to say something, she would hold those two fingers out to the side as if she was like, cradling a cigarette. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to do one of those bunny trolls for a minute. I'll get back to the story I'm referring to in a minute. I know y'all know the story about the night that I was putting her to bed in her crib, and she held those two fingers out to the side and said, sing a song. And I told her to use her manners and say, please. And she held those two fingers out to the side and said, please. So I began to sing a song that Nathan and I had written around that time, you know, a worship song to declare over her before bed. A mighty fortress is our God, a sacred refuge is your name. And that's when she held those two fingers out to the side and she said, can you sing all the single ladies? (laughs) I've been telling that story a lot here lately as I've been speaking at different events. And the other night I was around the dinner table with a group of parents from that songwriting retreat out at Lost Valley that I told you about. And I had told that story to them earlier, and it caused all of us to start telling funny stories about our kids saying, you know, the darndest things. And I told another Annie Rose story from her finger-sucking days, a story that's a little less told, but maybe equally as entertaining. But I shared this on the podcast several years ago, but I think it's only fitting that we revisit it as we're heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. But also, this is what my family does every time we're together. I don't know if you do this too, but often we revisit the same stories over and over, especially when we gather at the holidays. It's like always the funny stories that feel like these anchors that we go back to, especially in the midst of even the hard things that we might all be going through. But it's just comforting to laugh and to remember to let there you know, be some levity in our time together as we remember the growing up years. But the story goes that it was the Thanksgiving of 2010. And Nathan and I and the kids were flying to Oklahoma, where my parents still lived at the time. And I was on absolute stun about protecting all of us from getting sick that day as we flew home to see family. And this is because the year before, Thanksgiving of 2009, my entire family and extended family got the stomach bug while we were all at my parents' house. Looking back, we blame it on Nathan and my brother, Eric, taking all of the kids to the bowling alley the day before Thanksgiving. You know, just imagine all our kids, their little fingers inside the little holes of all those bowling balls and all of the germs that are just spread that way every day, but especially this day. And when they all got home from the bowling alley, Amaryllis Kristen, my sister-in-law, she had set up all the ingredients for this 
precious little Thanksgiving tradition that she grew up on where the kids take, you know, a little pumpkin and you have all these skewers with like fruit and cheese and veggies and olives and you put them all on the skewers and then you stick them into the pumpkin or the cantaloupe or whatever you're using as the body of the turkey and the skewers become, you know, hit the turkey's feathers on his back. And our guess is that our kids came straight in the door from the bowling alley and we failed to remember that all of them needed to thoroughly wash their hands before making said turkey-shaped snack. <laughs> and well, our whole family ended up eating the turkey-shaped snack, and not only did we all become violently ill, but I was violently ill for about 10 days. In fact, this was, you know, again, Thanksgiving of 2009, and I was on tour right after that, was supposed to be on tour with Chris Tomlin for his Christmas tour. And after about five days of being really ill, I rallied. I was somehow able to get on the bus, thinking that the worst was over. But the worst was not over. (laughs) In fact, right now, I'm just having flashbacks of literally laying on the cold floor of a bathroom in a church building in the middle of the night. Thank the Lord we somehow had key fobs to be able to get into the church in the night because our bus was just parked in the parking lot. By the way, this is life on the road, lest you think for one minute that there's like anything glamorous about it. I ended up in the ER that next morning, spent the day you know, resting, and believe it or not, I got a rental car and I drove to the next city where we were going to be in concert. And I sang that night, and I'll never forget the church that we were playing at. And apparently they've been doing some kind of production of maybe like a Christmas carol as there was just this production set backstage behind our production set. And it looked like a little Charles Dickens village type thing, you know, which, you know, sort of added to my deliriousness and confusion of like, where am I? And what am I doing? I remember there was a bed back there, assuming that was like Scrooge's bed. And I was curled up in it between the times that I was supposed to sing. And I remember looking up and seeing Louis Giglio, who was our pastor at the time and keynote speaker on that tour. And he was like, are you okay? (laughs) Turns out I was not okay. Somehow I made it through my last song that night. But you might remember that the tour had to leave me in Florida, where I spent the next few nights in the hospital, and Nathan had to fly to get me. So fast forward again to the next Thanksgiving break that I was telling you about in 2010, where I basically had PTSD for real about flying and all of us getting sick again. So I had been prepping the kids, like I was saying, for like two whole days before getting on that plane that we were not going to touch anything. We were not going to eat or drink anything on the plane. I had antibacterial wipes. I was pumping everyone with you know, vitamin C. And as I said, <laughs> this was the time in Annie's life that those two fingers were her jam. So I had started in early on her about not sucking her fingers that whole day that we were flying and getting to my parents' house. I was like drill sergeant about it. Well, we land and we get in our rental car and we're headed to my parents' house. And suddenly I get a call from my dad on my cell phone, and he begins to tell me that my nephew, who was staying with them at the time, was sick, like stomach sick. (laughs) None of us could believe it or process it. Nathan and I are just looking at each other. It's pitch dark outside. We're so tired, just got off the plane, three kids in tow, and now nowhere to go. 
And my dad suggests that maybe we should just get a hotel for the night so that we can wait it out and see if it was just like something he ate or if it was like a stomach bug. So we're just driving around and I'm fumbling around for my phone to try to find a hotel. And I hear Annie Rose say something really quiet from the back seat. I turned around and I kind of strained to see her in the dark. And I said, what, honey? And she held up those two fingers like a peace sign. And she said, mommy, can I suck these? (laughs) Of course, after I pulled out antibacterial wipes again, I started wiping her down. (laughs) Even though I had just wiped her down in the baggage claim before we got in the car, I said, yes, baby, you can suck your fingers now. But like I said, that was just a bunny trail for your entertainment. But the story I was referring to earlier, now that you've been refreshed on the fact that Annie Rose has been bringing stand-up comedy to our house for years, I wrote about this moment in the book. In fact, I'll just read it to you straight from my book, and I'll keep going as to come back to the point that I was making before about the importance of knowing where we are. One rainy afternoon when our youngest, Annie Rose, was inching toward three years old, we got out some home videos of when the kids were younger to keep them entertained. Annie Rose sat perfectly still, sucking those two fingers of hers. She was completely mesmerized to see herself as an infant as we kept pointing out, there's baby Annie Rose. A couple hours later, out of nowhere, she asked me, mommy, where is I'm? I tried to grasp what she was saying while also trying not to laugh as she said it again with fervor. Where is I'm? I assured her that she was right there with me, but she quickly whined, no, where is baby Annie Rose? I suddenly realized that she hadn't put two and two together, that baby Annie Rose from the video was herself. I think she was so taken with that cuddly, cute baby that she wanted to know where to find her. I said, She's you. You are baby Annie Rose, but you are growing up and getting bigger. She smiled at me bashfully as we both sat there and giggled. We talk so much about who we are in Christ, but it's not often that we think about the reality of where we are in Christ. My mom taught me a beautiful illustration years ago, which she learned from her author friend, Annabelle Gillum. On a side note, Annabelle, who is home with Jesus now, was someone who devoted her life to helping people understand who they are in Christ. I feel a little less odd when I read some of her hands-on illustrations and how she so often used her spiritual imagination to lead herself and others well in trusting God. Things like writing a letter to God in which you cast on Him rather than carry whatever your specific burden is. Then you sign it and seal it and date the outside of the envelope and keep it somewhere to remind yourself that you've given that burden over to Him. A big part of my learning to live from a heart of rest has been learning to use my spiritual imagination, hence my habit of hiding underneath my covers. (laughs) Before you get weirded out by this, using your spiritual imagination is really the same thing as living out your faith faith that God is who He says He is, and that you are and where He says you are. Again, I'm just trying to shake things up a little because I think sometimes we see familiar words like faith and we start to zone out. I'm not suggesting that you play mind games in order to believe in God, but I am saying that we have a choice in what we choose to dwell on. If sealing up an envelope 
what we've cast on the Lord helps us remember to rest in what He's carrying on our behalf, why wouldn't we? This goes for this envelope exercise, too. If my husband Nathan could interject right here, he'd warn you that you have now entered Christie's Craft Corner and that you might want to run to your local craft store and pick up some supplies. But maybe just for now, just use that spiritual imagination of yours for what can later be a more hands-on picture of where you are as the beloved of God. I've taken some creative liberties with Annabelle's basic idea Gather three envelopes of graduated sizes, small, medium, and large, as well as a slip of paper and a bit of decorative tape, such as washi tape. You can embellish the envelopes and make them pretty and Pinterest-worthy if you want, or you can just go Office Depot style. You do you. On the largest envelope, print the Father. On the next size envelope, print Christ Jesus. On the smallest of the envelopes, print your name. And on the little slip of paper, print Christ Jesus again. After you've done this, take the slip of paper with Christ Jesus on it and place it inside the envelope with your name on it. Beloved, Christ is in you. Now take that envelope with your name on it with Christ Jesus inside and place it inside the larger envelope that says Christ Jesus. Christ is in you but you are also in Christ. How amazing is that? Next, take the Christ Jesus envelope and place it inside the largest envelope that says the Father. Beloved, this is where you are. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ, and He is in the Father. This is what Jesus meant when He said in John 14, 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now use your decorative tape to seal this outer envelope and write the Holy Spirit across the tape. It is true that the Spirit of God is in you, and He is also the blessed seal that covers where you are in Christ. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Beloved, you are hidden within this magnificent mystery of our three-in-one God, Resting within those envelopes is your true reality, your very identity, and the life you long for. Think about it. Anything that happens to us must first go through the Father and through Christ. And because Christ is in us by His Spirit, we are covered by the great Comforter, as well as filled with the peace that only He can give. Why should we be afraid? I rested underneath this covering as I waited over two months to see a neurosurgeon about the mystery spot that the MRI found on my brain during my hearing loss saga, which I talk about earlier in the book. He helped me wait in quiet trust, knowing that God was with me in the waiting and that the outcome was enveloped, enveloped in his divine covering. I'm happy to tell you that the neurosurgeon confirmed that the spot on my brain was just a benign cyst that I was probably born with. My friend Emily teased me that it's just my extra little something that God gave me to pull from when I need an extra little something. But one of the last times that I gathered those lovely worship leader women in my Georgia home, again, I tell you about them earlier in the book. Before we made our way back to Tennessee, my heart was aching 
about me missing these sweet girls. I knew deep down how much I would miss their big, bright, beautiful hearts. I made each of them a set of these envelopes of remembrance after I battled the lie that they would think it was, you know, elementary and irrelevant. It actually brought a holy hush over the room as they opened their personalized envelopes of where they are in Christ. I left each of the envelopes unsealed so that they could reach into the mystery of God right there in my den and experience the covering of His love. My hope was to help them remember not only that nothing can touch them unless it goes through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also that this three-in-one God can powerfully live through them, changing everything they touch in this life. I hope this picture really ministers to you today of you literally being enveloped, enveloped by God, completely covered, come what may. I pray that it helps you understand where you truly are, especially when the storms of life make us feel like we're being tossed to and fro, that we're dangling by a rope somewhere. But the truth is we are anchored in and by His almighty life, and He can also be the treasure we hold over every outcome and answer, over every breakthrough we need or want. He remains the steady and sure union and relationship we long for, the only one that truly gives us life. So it's powerful to understand where we are, no matter what is coming at us, good or bad. And I've also heard it said how important it is to know where in the word we are, not just where in the world we are, but also just knowing where in the word we are. When I was writing my book that I just read to you from, it was really imperative for me at the end of each day to get in the habit of deciding where I was going to be the next day before I'd sign off from writing for the night. Because if I didn't, I'd find that I would either become really complacent with even sitting down and starting to write again, or when I would sit down, I would spend a lot of wasted time trying to figure out where I wanted to pick up. Was it chapter four or going back and editing chapter one again? I'd find myself frustrated sometimes before I even begin because I didn't have a plan. I think it could be the same with us being in scripture always knowing where we are in the Word, even if it's just choosing a chapter that we're going to study for the month or the week, or maybe it's a devotional that gives you at least some guardrails or a grid of where you're going to be in the Word of God, especially because of that important piece that we talked about last week of confessing what is true. Even if you just have time for a few verses in the morning, knowing right where you are and right where to go to even just take those few verses and think on them and say them out loud and believe them as you go about your day and invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth in your heart as you go about your day. I'm deciding that I'm going to be in the book of Hebrews for the month of December. So that's where in the word I'm going to be. If you want to join me even, I would love for you to. Well, this is something that I shared with just my Patreon audience around this time last year when I was keeping up with just them between the podcast seasons. But I wanted to come back to it and share it with you because I feel like it might be really insightful as you continue to grow in your relationship with the Lord and even your communion and that union that we've been talking about with 
him in these days. But I'll never forget when I first sat down with my literary agents who are a husband and wife team, and I first shared with them the idea for my book, The Life You Long For, and learning to live from a heart of rest. And one day Karen said to me, kind of in passing, I don't really remember exactly how she said it or why it even came up, but she said to me, you know, in the book world, you're what we'd call a mystic. And at first I was really bothered by that because, first of all, nobody puts baby in a corner. (laughs) Okay, that's very much showing my age with the dirty dancing quote. But I don't know about you, but when I think of a mystic, I think of someone who is not grounded in Scripture and is kind of open to anything in terms of spirituality. And I thought to myself, I feel about as far from a mystic as you can get. But when I looked up the actual definition of a mystic, I was kind of like, oh, maybe I am a mystic. (laughs) In fact, I believe most true Christ followers are, at least based on this definition. A person who seeks by contemplation and self-surrender to obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute, or who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. First of all, FYI, I'm not suggesting that we start all calling ourselves mystics. (laughs) But again, this is one of those interesting things that gets thrown around in culture, a word that we don't exactly know the meaning of, and apparently it's a category you can get put in as an author in Christendom. And you know me, I think that words are so important. So let's just look at this for a little bit. A person who seeks by contemplation, contemplation means to regard steadily. I can't help but think of the renewing of the mind here. And then it says, by self-surrender, or shall we say consecration, dying to self so that Christ's life can be expressed through us, so that we might obtain unity with or absorption into the deity or the absolute. Yes, we received unity with and absorption into the deity at salvation. But Jesus also said in John 15, remain in me abide in me. And then that last part, or one who believes in the spiritual apprehension of truths that are beyond the intellect. Spiritual apprehension beyond the intellect means that beyond just our, you know, using our mind, there's also a tasting and a seeing that the Lord is good. That's Psalm 34, 8. It's experiential. The word or name beloved, we've talked about before, it literally means those personally experiencing the agape love of God. So this is so interesting. You know, the word mystic actually comes from the Greek word muen, and it means to close the eyes or the lips. Peculiar, right? Well, we are a peculiar people, aren't we? To close the eyes or the lips. This actually brought to mind what I believe are two of the largest roadblocks to us experiencing renewal and revival even in our culture and even in our daily mundane, the glorious and the mundane. Let's just look at the closing of our eyes first, literally, figuratively, and spiritually. How can this possibly be a part of that spiritual apprehension of truth in our lives that goes beyond just our intellect and transform us on a soul level as we're able to engage with the Lord from being alive in our spirit toward Him? Why would we need to close our eyes? Because we can see everything. We've talked about this several times on this podcast, but you and I were never meant to see all that we can see 
in a day's time, even in an hour's time, or to consume all that we consume on a daily basis in terms of the brokenness of our world. I mean, y'all, even the weather app is terrifying. (laughs) I still need to figure out how to turn off the notifications on the weather app because I just need it for things like looking up the city that I'm traveling to and seeing what the temperature is going to be so that I can know what to pack. I don't need to know about how the smoke from fires caused geese to fly hundreds of miles off course and why this is potentially disastrous for our planet and could eventually end all things. (laughs) I'm serious. I read that once. Sometimes the weather app shares good news, like the fact that my friend Shane Kimbrough, who is an astronaut who had been living up on the space station for 199 days, the weather app told me when he landed safely in the Gulf of Mexico. That was actually early last November. So that was actually fun to wake up to as I thought about his wife, Robbie, and the relief that she and the kids must have felt in learning that he had landed safely. So sometimes it's good news, but a lot of times it's things like sinkholes and earthquakes and spider invasions and pumpkin shortages, just stuff I don't want to see right when I wake up because the regular news in general is hard enough to bear. (laughs) And we have enough going on in our world that we don't need to know all the things that are happening on our planet at once. But with this closing of the eyes, I'm not saying that we need to close our eyes to block out what's going on in the world. This isn't about us neglecting the truth of what's going on. This is about us aspiring to the unseen kingdom of God first, where the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, Yet our inner self is being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. As always, God is a God of order, and I believe us ordering our day with the unseen kingdom of God first is what sets us up to live from rest. I'll never forget when we passed the passion band down to some of the young worship leaders there at our church. They asked us about the very beginnings of the passion movement, the passion conferences. Since we had been a part of it for 20 years, they wanted to know what things were like when it all started. I thought it was really thoughtful of them, and it showed that they really had a hunger for the Lord to do a new thing in their midst. And as we all know, charging ahead in the new sometimes looks like looking back intentionally to what God has done faithfully in the past. And the first thing that came to my mind to tell them, which I've probably shared this before, was just that what was so different then to now is that back then, we couldn't see everything. We didn't have iPhones or a way to see what everyone else in the world was doing 24-7, even in what other churches were doing, what their worship sets looked like, or how flashy their lights and fog machine were. We couldn't see all that external stuff. And what that afforded us was the ability to be quicker in aspiring to the unseen rather than aspiring to what we are constantly scrolling up and down through every day. So this closing of the eyes, again, it's not to block out culture, but it's simply about the order in which we should engage culture by having the inner eyes of our soul locked in on Jesus first and foremost. Even ordering our day this way, even resisting the tendency and the urge 
to wake up and immediately start scrolling through other people's lives, but instead to first look to God and fix our eyes and therefore our heart upon Him. And you know me, I'm a firm believer in taking a social media Sabbath, either weekly or monthly. One time when Instagram first really got off the ground and started to become an actual big thing, I took almost a year off from all social media. And the fruit has always been me hearing from the Lord like never before. So again, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we talked through the closing of the eyes, and I'll close with this. What about the closing of the lips? Well, right away, I can't help but think of Ecclesiastes 5, 2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. I think because of the times we're living in, we've become accustomed to everyone saying everything. We're just used to this wall of sound that feels like nothing is sacred anymore. So much just feels irreverent. It's like, what is holy and set apart anymore? It makes me wonder if another massive roadblock to renewal and revival in our lives and in a culture is that we've forgotten the practice of reverence and even the posture of even embracing what's holy, God's holiness. Get this, the scriptures say that even Jesus revered God. Again, the reason why Jesus came in human form was to bring his father glory and to also show us what it looks like to be in relationship with the father. Hebrews 5, 7, it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Strong's Concordance says that this word reverence in the Greek is a word that means holy caution, illustrated by a person carrying a priceless Persian vase across the room, which will always be in a devout, respectful fashion. Isn't that beautiful? But remember in the last episode that we talked about the beauty of Psalm 25:14, that it tells us that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. It is for those who revere him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Some translations say he confides in those who fear him. I love that so much. So while I'm not about to label myself or you as a mystic, but rather a disciple of Jesus, there's certainly something in this definition that we can glean from, isn't there? And hopefully even see at work in our lives already. One more time that we might be one who seeks by contemplation, which again means to regard steadily or think on over and over. And by self-surrender, again, this is just that beautiful act of consecration that we might obtain unity with or absorption into the deity. Again, think John 15, where Jesus invites us to abide in him and remain in him that we might be one who believes in apprehending spiritual truths that go beyond just our intellect, beyond just our mind, but enter in to the tasting and seeing category, that the Lord is indeed good. I pray that you'll have that moment even over this next Thanksgiving holiday that's upon us and the Christmas season to come, that you will have 
moments with the Lord where you're able to, by contemplation, like thinking on it steadily over and over, renewing your mind of the truth of his word, remembering where you are, enveloped, enveloped in who he is, and that you'll be able to taste and see that he is indeed good. God, we invite you to do that over this holiday season. We're living in a time and a culture where we're just bombarded by so much and what we see and what we hear. God, would you give us moments where we're able to experience you in a way that's so fresh and new. We ask you for that, Lord. Our hearts, we long for you. God, would you come and would you show yourself strong to us in these days, Lord, as we surrender to you, as we, as your people, just want to continue to be in the practice of consecrating our lives to you, of confessing what's in our hearts, Lord, whether that is sin, things that we might be agitated about, things that you're using to make us more like Jesus, that we would let those things come to the surface, Lord, that we'll use our actual words and talk to you and converse with you, God, commune with you, and then confess what's true. Help us to be in that practice of just knowing where we are in your word, in your truth, in the scripture that is so sacred, it is what is set apart. And would you cause us, Lord, to keep that order in our lives in these days, especially around the holidays. It's such a hard time to keep renewing our mind and to keep focused. God, would you keep us in that place of just having open hands, open heart to you, consecrated lives, lives that confess who you are, Lord. And in that order, Lord, would you keep us in union with you in these days? It's what we want, Lord. You are what we want. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have the most wonderful Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you soon.